Hey, I want to welcome everybody. Uh, if you are online, hello. Uh, if you're watching on TV, hello. Special shout out to those of you uh, at East because uh, I got to be with you last week. You may not have realized that. I was creeping in the corner watching and, and it was awesome though to, to be with you and, and to worship with you and I love the East location. Uh, I'm with a group of people, like real people, uh, and this is awesome because empty rooms of preaching, that's just no fun. We're starting a new series and you might, you might be slightly alarmed right now because it has a vibe uh, of the election or politics, the colors we chose, uh, the conversation that you might be having regularly, the stress you might be going through. I think they're about to talk politics and I don't know if I want my church to talk politics. Uh, I want to talk about them, actually, because you're probably talking about them. You have an opinion about them. Uh, You may have said like in your head, I can't believe that about them. Uh, they said that and you begin to process or they didn't do this. Uh, them is, is a conversation that we've all had, not just political, but when there's the group or the person's not in the room, we talk about them or, or they or it's always this other group, this other person not around us. And it's a dangerous conversation to talk about them because they're not there. And it's not just because they're not there, you might actually assume something grossly wrong. In fact, um, we're in a dangerous situation right now where you might think that the right them will solve your problems. You might think actually that if you get enough people around your them, that you might land where going, I think there's more hope, there's more awesomeness. We, we, this might turn around the whole them and they piece. Um, in fact, if you're not careful, you're gonna think life is all about them. You're gonna think that your solution is them. And so what does a church, what does a pastor talk about when we are weeks away from electing a a leader of our country? Well, this might not shock you. I think one of the greatest things for you and I to talk about in this setting is found in scripture. Uh, So let me take you to the scripture. Search me, oh God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I think the more mature conversation, because I don't think you need David Canaan talking to you about who to vote for. Uh, In fact, I'm not going to do that. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your soul because that me that me is your soul. Your, your me is the real you. Your soul, your, the thing that, that matters, when you, right now, when you're thinking, because you're thinking right now, think, think, think for a little bit, for a second, think about anything. You, who you know is you, is your soul. Your, it's not your body, it's not your clothes, it's not where you work or go to school. The real you that maybe you've got portions of that hidden, uh, you've got private where you're going, no one knows this about me and that I said and did this and that I thought that. And, uh, the, the real you is your, your soul. And I think you and I ought to talk about your soul because I actually think your soul is the biggest deal. 
that your soul, if you actually were to deal with your soul, that your hope and where you're looking for your hope all over the place in them and that, uh, it may not rest in that so, so deeply. And, and uh, I, I was reading a book, uh, technically listening to a book. Some people care about that. I was listening to a book. For those of us who need full disclosure, it, the book was being read to me <laughs> through my earbuds. Uh, and the author was talking about uh, his disdain for traveling. And it wasn't that he didn't like going to places that, that were cool and all that. It, it was that when he was away, away didn't feel like home. Nothing ever felt like home. For those of you who ever travel and ever like go out and about and all that, uh, there are many of us who love to return to home because our home makes us feel, let's go real specific. Like you have like your pillow that you like probably or, or your bed uh, I don't know how much, your bathroom. Most of us just thoroughly enjoy our own bathroom. Yes, most of us do. Uh, and, and there's this feeling that when you're, you're traveling, I, I don't know how you do when you travel. Uh, when I travel, and this is weird, I like to make where I travel even feel like home, but it never works. But like I'll hang stuff up. Sorry if that weirds you out. I'll go in the hotel room and I use the hangers. I actually use the dresser. I know some of you keep it in the suitcase or you just throw it all out. I want there to be this sense of home because I love that feeling. So when I get home for real, like I can feel it, I can smell it, I love it. It does something actually to me physically when I go home. It's a big deal to me. Well, I think your soul has the same longing. When I talk to you about your soul, I think your soul longs to be home. You're craving, perhaps right now even your, your discontent. I think a little bit of it's this longing to be home. And you're like, well, how does this look? Well, the Bible spells a lot of this out. Oh, God, you, you are my God. Oh, God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. This is just great poetic literature in the Bible that says your soul and my soul actually have uh, these, these longings, that, that, these cravings. Uh, let me take you to another one. In this, uh, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I, I, it's, we don't have time, but I, I, basically your soul is longing to be with God. Like crave, like think of your greatest craving is longing to be connected to your actual creator, your real, the one and only true God. You were born with this craving. So that means the health of your soul, if it's going to be connected to God, is crucial. It means that your very soul, like how actual, that, like what you do to you, what you think and process, how you feed your soul, nourish your soul, how you sustain your soul, what you do with you is a huge deal. And many of us are like, well, how do I pay attention to my soul? And what's so stinking beautiful about the Bible is that if you go to the very beginning, there's this list of anchor points Let's say, if you want to know how to have a healthy soul, like how to like, what do you anchor down? What's, what's important to your soul? What do you do? The Bible spells it out for you. We just typically read so fast through it because it's just what we do. So let me take you to it. So the creation of the heavens and the earth. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he 
rested. Just so you know, he wasn't tired. It's, it's God. There's a lesson here. Why are we being taught this? Well, so he rested from all of his work and, and God blessed the, the seventh day and declared it holy. So God not only rested, but he declares this specific day holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. What he just showed us is what your, your soul needs is rest. Bottom line, just need rest. I would say physical rest is a big deal, but also this emotional, spiritual rest. You crave it. You've always craved it. That's why uh, if you've ever had a, like a really good vacation or a really just good weekend kind of a thing and you go back to normal, if it was a good one and a restful one, you just feel different. You have always craved, you need it, you require it, your soul is desperate for rest. It's an anchor point, but let's keep reading. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Sometimes we get confused when we read the Bible because we begin to piece things and we're like, wait, I thought sin actually created the need to work. No, this is, this is pre-sin. This is, this is responsibility. Your soul actually wants responsibility. If you're like, what's the opposite? Your soul is not good when you are lazy. If you live a routine, lazy, if that's your approach, is to actually mooch off anyone and everyone nonstop, that's your goal. That is not just bad for you maybe physically, it's actually bad for your soul. Your soul craves responsibility. It's why, frankly, if you ever do something cool, like you, like you accomplish something, you probably tell someone. I put it in sermons a lot. If I build something accidentally that turned out good, I'll be like, guess what I did? It's why if you, if you actually accomplish something, there's a little bit of you going, yeah, I did. I'm telling you, your soul finds this, this joy when you fulfill a responsibility and the opposite. When you have no responsibility in life and you're running from it nonstop, good luck having a satisfied soul. Let's keep reading because there's more. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except, hate these thinking rules, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. This is a, this is a problem point for a lot of us with the Bible. Because we're like, if God loves us so much, why did he put that there? And uh, theologians have called this because you and I need to learn restraint. There is something that your soul, uh, a discipline that your soul wants to learn and needs to learn and is the ability to restrain, to actually say, I'm thinking this, but I'm not gonna say it. Restraint. I wanna do this, but I'm not going to do this. I have a major problem with restraint in one particular <clears throat> area. I present to you the best cereal in all of the world. I know some of you, you're already going up, but let, let, let me speak about myself for a second, okay, here, here. 
There is something that happens to me in, in my routine of life. Now I go home, we have dinner as a family, it's awesome. We have a, a really young child, Bo, who's a little one and a half. And so when he goes to bed, we get a little bit more freedom and we begin to be like, hey, life's good. He's good with him, but it's really good when we get to take a break and, and really relax after working. And it gets to about, I would say around eight o'clock. And if this is in our house at eight o'clock, I know, I know some of you would say this is a box of cereal. In desperate times, I would call this a bowl of cereal. <laughs> so just so you know, I had to buy this because we can't have it in the house. That's why, you know, can't have nice things kind of a thing. I, I, I have to show restraint, and I'm telling you, because many of us know, they say, hey, you shouldn't really eat after 8 o'clock. Well, all that does to me is say, at 8 o'clock, you will start to be hungry. And, and if this is there, you better believe I'm not only going to open this up, I'm like, we have got to have a really big bowl. Like, we've, the, you know, the normal bowls that maybe the kids use that you would go up in the, no, I need to go down underneath. <laughs> Those bowls? Any, got? Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, and I know that if, if, my, if my daily routine is this, I come into some pretty significant problems, Right? Our soul needs us to learn the discipline of restraint. And if you ever find yourself, the reason I'm harping on this is because I think this is our weakest point. So far you've been like, yeah, rest, sign me up. I would like some of that. Responsibility, that feels kind of good. Restraint, well, like how good is the cereal? But I'm telling you, I think we live in a time right now that we aren't, we aren't modeled restraint and each one of us fights our own battle cereal may be no big deal to you but I know you are human enough that there is something in your life that you fight this battle of restraint your soul needs it let's keep reading because there's more Uh, then the Lord God said uh, it's not good for the man to be alone I'll make a helper who is just right for him so right there right at the beginning of the Bible we learn that we need relationships Your soul needs relationships. If you try to do life in a healthy way, all by yourself, no real relationships, no real friendships, no real anything like that, you're like no isolated, your soul will find itself so desperate. So let's remind ourselves of the four things because it may be new to some of us. The Bible, again, is so wonderful that just spells it out. If you forget, just go to the beginning of the Bible and start reading again. But you need rest, responsibility, restraint, relationships. This is what your soul needs. Now here's the problem, and here's where often we stop. Cool. Pastor David, I'll go work on that. But let me bring something up. Those were in existence at the beginning of time with Adam and Eve, right? However, a problem still unfolded. An issue still arose, even in paradise. Even with like, hey, we are practicing this, but... So, so you and I have to go after something that I don't know how you're gonna take it. How's that for a setup? <laughs> so let, let me first tell you about a woman who had two experiences, and this is, this is real, she had two experiences in, in one day. Uh, she was a, a graduate student at Harvard, and so she went to her psychology class, and it was, the whole topic was about the stuff that you struggle with personally. So she's in a psychology class, and they're all, no joke, all talking about their problems with like full disclosure. 
going, oh, so I deal with this and this is really tough and I don't know how to overcome this kind of a thing. Then the next person would be like, oh, well, let me tell you my, and they actually begin to, in essence, they didn't realize they were doing it, they would confess their sins to each other. Like right there in, in class. They didn't even all know each other really well. But, but the observation was that the class ended and what was interesting was that there was no resolution to the confessions that were going on. They were saying, yeah, I wrestle with this. I don't know how to stop. I don't know if I'm ever gonna, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Her second experience that day, she actually left and went to a Bible study. Similarly, the leader of the Bible study brought up and said, what can we pray for each other about? What are you wrestling with? And she details, she says it went silent. No one offered any kind of, well, I'm, I'm struggling with this particular thing. She said one person generally mentioned an aunt who was gonna have a surgery and that was good and, and right, but, and she noted the contrast that both groups were dealing with something but inadequately. Both groups were talking about their souls or wrestling or being private about what was going on in their souls with no resolution to it. Some were afraid to bring up what was going on and others had no idea what to do with what they brought up. So why do I tell you this? Uh, because in the Bible, in paradise, something happened even though it was paradise. And I'm not offering you self-help is what I'm trying to explain to you. I'm not offering you a list of four things that will simply just make you a better person because you have a deeper issue than that. I'll take you here. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, which can we just, I know pictures say it was an apple. It was not, it was fruity pebbles for sure. I mean, I don't know if you're walking in a garden and you're tempted by a pear tree or an apple tree. I'm not uh, at all. But if Fruity Pebbles is hanging there, I'm like, man, why'd you put this tree in this garden? Just so we know. I can't prove anything I just told you. Uh, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Sin. Sin's the word. I like to use the word mistake whenever I sin because it makes me feel better. And then I begin to add why everyone's imperfect, but that was sin. You need to know the word sin. And here, you won't have a healthy soul without dealing with your sin. There are, there are the four things that I talked to you about, the anchor points for your soul, but, but you can go after that, but if you don't deal with your sin, if you don't go after the sin, then you're gonna be a, maybe a good person on the outside, but your soul will still be desperate, longing in a way that is not being fixed. Uh, let me take you back to what I read to you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. I want to walk you through this because we are about to take a process, just so you know, that is so politically incorrect and does not get preached as often as it should. How do you and I actually begin to deal with our sin so we just aren't good people hoping that God's cool with that? So let's go. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Here's what you're saying. You have all access. I have no excuses. If you want to deal with the sin in your life, you've got to begin to say, I refuse to offer excuses to God. It can't be like, hey, I did this, or, or even to your friends, hey, I did this, or I thought this, or I processed this, or this was a part of my life. I'm doing this right now, or I'm not doing this, and, and, you know, but, but here's why. If you begin to offer, but here's why, all the time excuses, you're never going to deal with your sin, and your soul is going to be constantly in this state of discontent. So when this begins to say, search me, you need to know, it starts with, will you or won't you be honest? about sin. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. In other words, reveal my fears and where I don't trust you. If you're gonna, if you're gonna go after healing your soul, letting God heal your soul, You've got to be able to go to him and say, you know what, I've got stuff, fears, but perhaps my fears are, are idols that I worship, are things that I have put way above God, things that, that I put my hope in where I think that if this is resolved, God's cool, but, but if this is resolved, then we're back on the train tracks of good life. That's often where you've put your faith in something and fear is driving it. Reveal my fears. Uh, point, out any, point out anything in me that offends you. In other words, uncover my sins. Flat out uncover my sins. I wonder, I wonder what kind of a conversation you have with God normally. Most of us have needs that we speak to God, which is a great thing. You ought to speak needs to God. You ought to tell God what you're wrestling with. You ought to invite God. God, would you heal whatever? And, and, but many of us are not in the business of confessing to God and saying, God, this is really what I'm thinking. This is really what's going on. This is really what I did, what I said. This is really my, what I'm wrestling with. I need you to help me deal with this. And that's the search me. Um, Tim Keller, a guy that uh, I like to read very often, um, has written multiple books about sin. And, and he was going after, you got to look at how big of a deal your sin is. Um, uh, most of us are familiar with wildfires that they just have gone on and gone on and gone on. And many times when you hear about wildfires, you, you hear about the magnitude of it based on the amount of firefighters that are being sent to go deal with the fire. Uh, the acreage, yes, but when you hear about the numbers of how many people from how many states have, have gathered in on, let's fix this and remedy that. Uh, also, uh, if, if you ever hear about a major surgery, Oftentimes, if you hear about like this, whoa, this surgery happened, they talk about the surgeon and the expertise and the amount of surgeries they did and how big of a deal it was that this particular surgeon did this surgery. When you and I talk about things, we often talk about like who got involved and that like elevates the whole thing. Like, whoa, they were there. So sin. Do not ever forget the fact that God Almighty, God Almighty came to earth. And the reason he came to earth, the reason he showed up to rescue you and I was because of our sin. That's how big of a deal sin is. We've got to stop minimizing sin and saying, well, everybody sins, so it's no big deal. No, 
If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've ever processed that Jesus came and died for us and resurrected for us, what that should also do to you is say, whoa, sin must be a big deal if God's going to intervene like that. Tim Keller, sin isn't only doing bad things, which as a kid, I mean, most of us, I, I thought that's what it doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. If this is a new term to you, you make an idol out of it. You're worshiping it. It basically takes the place of God. Please stop minimizing sin. We live in a time right now that just I'm going to tell you is all about two people's sins, or I guess we could say four people's sins. Do not get caught up in the current where only their sins matter. God will hold you accountable for your sins. That's not to put you in a corner going, now I feel bad. No, deal with them. Let God deal with them. Again, go back to scripture. Uh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Lead me. What is your response to this? God, lead me. You might be saying, I don't know how to stop this or, or I don't know how to reconcile this and I don't know if I can restore the relationship that I broke or I don't know how to deal with this addiction or whatever, whatever is in your life. You start with, lead me, God, lead me. No more excuses, no more hiding it, leave me. So this series, if you need me to talk to you about which party, this and that, what person to elect, uh, you'll be disappointed. This series, we're gonna talk about our souls. We're gonna talk about us. I know it sounds like, I don't know, if, no. In the best of way, we're gonna make sure that in, as the world gives attention to a lot of different people, that we don't get caught up in that current, we're gonna make sure that we walk out of this election with our souls healthier. I believe that's the direction God wants us to go. So, I wanna pray with you because I think some of us need to begin the process of inviting God to lead us. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Uh, and as you're, as you're hopefully focused, I don't know what you see right now as your eyes are closed. I don't know what your mind is on, but if you want to start a conversation with God all about sin and getting a healthy soul, maybe you would say something like this to him just privately. God, I'm sorry for all my sins. God, I think I've sinned in ways I didn't even mean to. But God, I have sinned in ways that I fully intended to. God, would you forgive me of all of my sins? Would you wash them away? Would you fill my very soul with your presence? And Lord, would you lead me? Would you lead me in the midst of a season of uncertainty and crazy and maliciousness? And God, would you give my soul hope? Lord, I love you. I want you to lead me.
pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.